With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Hey guys, all you wiretappers out there, this is uh, one of the series of short episodes about the Chicago outfit in 1989. I'm recording this with my friend Cam Robinson, Camulus Robinson, and Paul Whitcomb, my other friend. Both of these guys are experts on the Chicago outfit. Now, looking back at 1989, the Cubbies won first place in the National League East but the Giants beat them in the National League playoffs, if you remember that. The Royals, since I'm from Kansas City, we finished second in the American League West, kind of on our way back downhill from our great win in the World Series in 1985. Richard J. Daly had been the mayor for a long time in Chicago, and Richard M. Daly, little Richie, became the mayor in 1989. Now you're going to notice that the sound is just a little off. I had to take the sound from a Zoom call because my recorder developed a problem during the taping, and I didn't notice it until we were about, God, I've been about an hour or so into it, and none of us wanted to go back over this again. It's just, it's like catching lightning in a bottle doing a show. I felt like we'd done something really good, and it just, we, you just can't, sometimes you just can't do it again. So, but I think it's a cool show, a cool series of episodes about, Stool pigeons in 1989. Now, 1989, the Chicago outfit had a bad year, as you'll see. Everybody came in and started talking. So settle back and listen to this particular episode. I don't remember which is which. Now, don't forget to hit me up on my Venmo, buy me a shot and a beer, or help me buy a new recorder, which I'm going to do. Or hit me up on my website on the donate page using PayPal, or you can use your credit card. Now, settle back and listen to this particular episode of the year of the stool pigeon all right well let's move along now to uh this is kind of interesting uh, paul peanuts pansko who was the the leader of the polish branch of the outfit was that what you would call peanuts pansko the leader of the polish branch <laughs> if the polish if the polish branch was the pansko family which you could, <laughs> you could easily say there were three brothers then yeah that would be right <laughs> Well, never really done a yeah. show on them. I don't know a whole lot about them other than they were these, uh, shall we say, non-Italian, uh, Peckerwood, as we call them in Kansas City, professional criminals who did a lot of business with different outfit people. And he, and he did a robbery of a racetrack. I think it's the Balmoral Racetrack. It's the name of it. Uh, uh, James Duke Basile. And 
and uh, then Hansko was in trouble for that, and and he convinced Basile to come in, uh, and, and they did some talking. Remember anything about that situation? In a lot of ways, Hansko could be considered the first one of the first dominoes that eventually led to the family secrets trial. You know, Pansko, as you said, led to Duke Basile, who they 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 had done robberies together. Basile led them to Scarpelli, who was a much higher guy. I mean, there's there's debate, but he was because there was a making ceremony at this time, but Scarpelli was was pretty highly ranked. I mean he was he was a, a known killer and he was he was up there. He was in the wild bunch. Uh, Scarpelli then did tell them about a lot of the things that uh, that uh, Frank Calabrese had done. He wasn't known as well as as Scarpelli had brought him up to be, and, and a lot of those things dominoed into uh, what would eventually lead to family secrets years later. Uh, uh, Scarpelli, I think, did not know so much about Nick, but he did know about Frank, and so a lot of that information sort of filled in the gaps, and even though Frank Calabrese's Jr. led them led them to Nick. They a lot of seeds were planted and can be traced back to Peanuts Pansco. Um, so, so it is kind of an interesting tr- line. Basile he wore a wire on Scarpelli and got him talking about a lot of these things. That's yeah, how the FBI knew about that. They I were in a it, car together, right? If I remember right, he even uh, talked about a mob graveyard. They went up there and they found two or three bodies. <clears throat> one of them was uh, connected. wasn't anybody really important, but one of them was connected to Harry Aleman. Uh So it, it was a pretty important uh, wearing of a wire on Scarpelli, who then came in himself and talked for a while, and that's what led to the family secrets. He talked about Frank Calabrese. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And some of those bodies in that graveyard were 10 years apart, which was interesting. I've got it's on it's on the map that I created. But but some of those bodies, there was years in between them. So it was something they were going back to. And they believed that there were a lot of things there they did not find. So, yeah, because yeah. they built a, a health care facility or something. They built some big building over where there would have been bodies. Right. Yeah. Right. And the fascinating thing about this is Scarpelli, like. Just like Cam said, this guy was a serious killer. He was a muscle builder. He was a terrifying guy. I mean, he had almost inhuman physical strength. Yeah. And and when he flipped, he was completely debriefed by the FBI and the DOJ and then decided to try and change his mind. But before he could do that, he hung himself in the bathroom of the Metropolitan Correctional Center uh, with his hands behind his back and a bag over his head. Yeah, who was he in prison with? Who was he, who was he in MCC with, Paul? Was, it, was it anybody? Was, <laughs> he did happen to be in in MCC with the with the German at the time. He bound his hands behind his back and put a bag over his own head. Yeah. He did. <laughs> he did. And so the outfit continues to somehow persuade people to take their own lives rather than testify against them. That's a hell of a way to die by suicide. Yes, it oh. is. I did by suicide. At least they didn't have arrows in his back. <laughs> Not as far as we know, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. He cut his own head off. I, I saw a cartoon once that, uh, see, homicide guys are like to go ahead and, and maybe rule something to suicide because then you could just walk away from it. <laughs> so there's a dead body laying there with a bunch of arrows in its back and a homicide detective standing over him with a, uh, a pad and pencil and says, hmm, 
Suicide, huh? Got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the inside joke. It, it worked homicide. It's, you see how those guys sometimes will try to uh, make something into a suicide that it probably is a homicide. And, and on the other hand, we had one, we had a mob guy, he wasn't really a mob associate, who had gone to Vegas. He lost a lot of money. And they found his body in his car at the airport parking lot after coming back from Vegas. And they found out later, lost a lot of money. And the car was parked up against the fence and he was shot in the head and there was no gun in the car, you know, found. So just assume that somebody shot him in his head, the car kept going and rolled up against the fence. But this one detective, I remember Bob Pinson was his name. He was dogging. And, and he started, he went back over and he dusted that car for prints again and he, he got some more evidence out of it and and then he went back to the airport and he looked and, and started asking questions and he found out later that somebody who had a pickup truck parked there had a week later three or four days later come back and got his truck when he got home he found a pistol inside the bed of his truck and he called the airport or he called somebody he turned it in Pinson found that pistol, and that was a pistol that, that shot the guy. So right. Pinson's theory was he was rolling along in his car. He shot himself in the head, and then he flipped that pistol out as, with a reaction. He flipped it out and went in the bed of that pickup, and then it rolled on up against the fence, and they rolled it to suicide. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's not I, that different than Scarpelli. I mean, the FBI to this day insists it was suicide. Yeah. Uh, well, oh well. Right. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, look for the next episode in the Year of the Snitch coming soon. Don't forget to hit me up on your Venmo app at Gangland Wire or go to my donate page. Need all the help we can get. And as you know, I always have a little blurb supporting the Veterans Administration and their ptsd work because it's a it's a huge problem there's a lot of cops with ptsd i probably got some myself uh probably could use this myself a little ptsd help um you know there's one more thing about that here in kansas city i was at a company uh actually they worked on my computer down here at 304 armor road in north kansas city and this is for you kansas city people there's a virtual reality company called omnilife and they, ha they fix computers. They have a virtual reality games, which are really scary. They put me in one and asked me to walk up plank and walk out and look straight down from a, like a 50-story building. I couldn't do it. It's, it's so real. It's unbelievable. But the last thing that I want to tell you is they have PTSD therapy for military vets. They use virtual reality. would like put a vet in a convoy and then have a IED blow up right in front of them and have them walk them back through their experiences that they had in, in uh, the Middle East, or probably go all the way back to Vietnam now. Some of us are still around. And they have a doctor on staff whenever you do this. I don't know if they have a connection with the VA or not, but the guy was telling me about it. It sounded pretty interesting. So uh, I just wanted to give them a little plug for you Kansas City listeners, and uh, you may not have PTSD, but if you ever wanted to try something that was fun and, and exciting without taking any real physical risk, go up there to 304 Armor Road and check out the virtual reality games. Thanks, folks.
Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.